Hey there, this is What the Riff, a podcast that takes you back to riff and reminisce about the days of old, that old time rock and roll. We're going to share a few songs off an album of the month from the 60s, 70s, 80s, or 90s with some individual staff picks and a little more. You're going to hear some well-known favorites along with a few deeper cuts that may re-inspire you. If you hear something you haven't heard in a while, or if it's totally new to you, visit our website, whattheriff.com, and you can download these songs to your playlist. We hope you enjoy the riffs and are riffing about them on What the Riff, brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors, and also Marbury Creative Group, a brand development agency that helps companies tell it better. So for now, enjoy this episode of What the Riff? The Manson family commits the Tate LaBianca murders. Woodstock Music and Arts Fair opens in New York State on Max Yeager's farm. Hurricane Camille strikes the U.S. coastline and kills 259. And the Haunted Mansion attraction opens at Disneyland in Anaheim, California. It's August 1969, and this is What the Riff. I'm Bruce. I'm Wayne. I'm Rob. And I'm Brian. And Wayne's bringing us the feature. What have you got, Wayne? I've got the most underrated band in rock and roll. Most people don't remember them very much, but you may remember this lead singer. The lead singer is Peter Frampton. Okay, yeah. And this is his second group that he joined. It's called Humble Pie. Okay, I've heard the name. Humble Pie. Uh, the first album is As Safe As Yesterday Is, and basically it's it, Humble Pie just cranks, and you're probably more, you probably heard of them more of uh, 30 Days in a Hole. Yep. Uh, yes. my, one of my favorite live songs is I Don't Need No Doctor, and actually <laughs> Ashford and Simpson did that song for him, um, and Ray Charles actually performed it. Uh, this song right here is called Stick Shift, and it was written by Peter Frampton. It's sort of a psychedelic song. It, they actually go through a wide range of different songs. Uh, they do folk. They, huh. they do country. They have southern rock. They're from England, but they're from southern, you know, it would be a southern South rock England. Song. Yes. Exactly. Southern English rock. <laughs> I would have to ask, though, the rest of the band, did they ask Peter Frampton to show them the way? <laughs> <laughs> well, the lineup... Steve Marriott, he's he was from the Small Faces, a well-known group. He was very young; he was 21 at the time. Peter Frampton um, was 18 years old. Um, this wow. was his second group. The first group was the Herd, and he was 16 when he was with that band. Oh wow! Um, and he joined as a lead singer and a guitarist. And, and we've all kind of talked about it before. You know, Peter Frampton's guitar work is great. And um, so, and then they had. Uh, a spooky Tooth bassist Greg Ridley um, come in, and then Jerry Shirley was the drummer. And the drum work, I mean, this is a 17 year old doing the drums, did a very good job of it. Um, just one thing about Peter Frampton, you know, we remember him in 77 with, you know, Frampton Comes Alive. Yep. But in 68, he was considered the face of 1968 because of his really boyish good looks. Was he on Tiger Beat doing anything? No, well, I don't even. Or did he, get, did he have to wait till he hit it with the hit it big with Frampton I, Comes Alive? I think it was Frampton Comes Alive. Okay. I, I, at that time, whatever Tiger Beat version they had in England <laughs> yeah. at the time, they yeah. he probably was Tiger Beat. But the original band was Frampton's band. This was going to be Frampton, and 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 Ridley and and Shirley were going to just be the main guys, and Steve Merritt just went, 
I'm sick of the small faces. I'm I'm history. Can I join your band that I'm helping bring together? Because he's just trying to help Peter Frampton out. Because Frampton was going to join the small faces because he wanted a band to join. Mm. So this is one of those weird kind of super groups that kind of just just kind of evolved. It's interesting. You know, I really didn't know the connection between Frampton and Humble Pie or, or any of these before. Really, from my perspective, Frampton kind of pops on the scene with Frampton Comes Alive. That's the first time I've ever heard of it. I agree. Well, this song is called Bang. It's by Steve Marriott. And uh, to me, it's Southern rock. I mean, it, it is... Southern kicking, England rock. Southern England rock. <laughs> Very bluesy. Uh if you listen to the Humble Pie, you'll hear a lot of the blues and a lot of it the, in their deeper cuts. And so this is one of those ones where they, they got it. We're, we'll feature another one that's just, I mean, I, I played it when I was doing Southern Rock on my radio broadcast that I was doing back at college. snuck it in. Exactly. So the name of this song is Bang? Bang. I think it's Bang. <laughs> Bang with a question mark. That's correct. Um, Peter Frampton, uh, basically, they talked about this band... They choose the name Humble Pie, and do you um, do you know what Humble Pie kind of words derive from? Or, or isn't meaning? it like if something happens and you have to eat your words? Yeah, like basically? eating crow. Isn't exactly, it? exactly. And it originated as a dish of peasants and ate in medieval times. It was the innards of a deer. <laughs> mm, so oh, lovely. So there really is a humble pie. Yeah, but and it's this, not shepherd's pie. This album actually just goes from one end to the other and we're the next song we'll just we'll go to that kind of folkish song but uh they they hit these they came out like a damn rocket um they put out this album then they did like the beatles they put it their second album out like five months later wow so they're almost like a double album on on these guys so uh they oh. really didn't have a direction they were going in they kind of split the different songs so you know, if they would have kind of stayed this rock or, you know, that first song was more psychedelic. Right. They just couldn't choose which one they were going to go in. And, and like I said, they did the focus stuff. They did a country song. It, it, it's it's on there in one of the deep cuts. So it would not be appropriate to call this band One Direction. <laughs> was there a country song like Mick Jagger's that we <laughs> featured? Yeah, exactly. The Girl well, with Faraway Eyes. Yes. Well, one thing that uh, what's great about Humble Pie is their live performance. Oh, I can imagine. I can imagine. And what they're known for, the Fillmore East, going in there and doing, like I said, I Don't Need No Doctor. That song is sort of like Do You Feel Like We Do, where it doesn't end. Ah. It just seems like it, it punches you in the face a couple of times, and, and it, it doesn't end. And that's the live version of that. And so they do the same thing. And this, is, this song right here is the title song off the album, As Safe As Yesterday Is. And I have to say, this is one of my favorite songs by by Humble Pie because you can hear just Peter Frampton. You can just you, I just close my eyes and I just listen to this and just go, man, what a way to sing this! And this is Frampton on lead. Yeah. Okay. But Frampton and Marriott both wrote this song. So who's the driving force behind this album or behind this group? Is it Frampton or is it Marriott? Uh, both, really. Okay. Um, but it, it became Marriott's uh, group. Okay. Uh, Frampton would leave after a few years. Um, the, the song 30 Days in a Hole is on an album that's without him. The, the, okay. The, the album, if you, I used to have it called Smokin'. And that that's that was a really you know crank-out song and crank-out album. But... It slowly faded down uh, with with the 
I guess, the lack of uh, cohesion. Because uh, when Frampton left, you know, everybody just go, hey, is this differences with me and Steve? And I don't feel like, you know, we're going in the right direction. And, um, and one thing is that people don't, they, they point out later as well, Steve was starting to do some drugs there. And Ooh. Peter wasn't really getting, you know, yeah, he was probably partaking in some of it, but he wasn't going down that road. And that was one of the reasons why they kind of broke up. They, this, when, the, I, when I looked them up on to, to pull the songs together for our playlist, there are quite a few Humble Pie albums. Because I was trying to look for the one, specifically their their first one, which, interestingly enough, for some reason on, on iTunes, I couldn't see um, As Safe As Yesterday Is, the album. Well, that's, that's true. Because the album um, wasn't really released in the United States. It was released later. In uh, the UK. This, yeah, ah. this is in the UK when it was released. I apologize in the month it did. But uh, it, it was I picked the UK version because I wanted this album. Gotcha. I actually picked Town and Country for the pick. And then I started looking and I'm going, well, most of the songs I like are off of, off of right. As Safe as Yesterday when I started reviewing on, on Wikipedia saying, hey, what's, what's the lineup on these songs? So then, Town and Country, is that the second album? That's the second album, yeah. Is it the first album released in the United States? Yes, okay, yes. And gotcha. then they started adding other songs onto that. Gotcha. So. You know, he has a little bit of a Robert Plant sound in this song. Yeah, yeah I'd agree. I thought I, it's, it sounded a little bit like The Who to me, too, a little bit. Different well, the parts. drum work. The drum work yeah. is definitely somewhat. You'll, you'll start hearing that. And uh, man, I just just love this kind of part. Sort of Jethro Tull. Yeah, Jethro. I was just thinking Jethro Tull right there. All right, if you're going to say that, then you need to bring some flute in. All right. Oh, absolutely. Uh, they got the harpsichord there. What yeah. kind of what kind of rock music would it be without a good or mandolin? This track is just over six minutes long, and the other ones that are on here. Are um, you know you're talking more cl- you know closer to, to three to four. This is a pretty long one. You know it's interesting because you can kind of see how the the times change, especially when you look at the '60s. The 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 ones that we've done from the the mid '60s are much much shorter. Yeah. And then now you know we're hitting in August '69, so it's about to turn into this the the '70s decade. And the songs are longer. They're they're not they're not significantly longer, but you're beginning to get that. But you, if you in order for you to play it on a radio station, you got to cut that. You got to yeah. edit it down to the less than three minutes. Exactly. Well, this one I imagine would did not come out on a forty-five. And as we talked about at the top of the program, this is when Woodstock came out, and yeah. you imagine the Who had Tommy, mm-hmm. and that was a completely different concept than anybody else had was a rock opera the whole album a dual album there's <laughs> there's four yeah. sides on that that it just encompasses and obviously that'll be a staff pick after i do the quadrifinio rock opera yep <laughs> maybe one of you guys can do that yeah this one uh this podcast is 41 minutes we've done some that are in the thir- mid 30s <laughs> oh yeah, yeah exactly yeah. The the the, er, the mid the mid sixties ones are all very short. Aren't yeah, they? this has that medieval sound, obviously with the mandolin and everything. You got that Hammond organ going. Mm-hmm. Too. Where's my saxophone? Ah, no, no saxophone there. No. Now just a fuzzy guitar and that drum. Uh, little change in meter there. 
Yeah, I like it. I, I'm not familiar with this song. I have a feeling I'm going to know the next one, but well, the, I like the, this. The song, this song is just basically, if you like that drum, the way it kind of machine guns through, just you know, running across the, the whole line. It is a beautiful song, mm-hmm. and like I said, it's one of my favorites. I think I don't need no doctor just to, because just how rocking that one is mm-hmm. is one of my favorite. Is my favorite. I kind of consider this album as uh, sort of a heavy blues kind of crushing rock. Uh, some we heard that folk, and then sort of post mid pop. But this one right here is just southern rock. It used to get a big play on MTV when it first came out. They were sort of doing the oldies, and they called it Natural Born Woman. And this is actually Natural Born Boogie, and this is actually done by uh, Marriott. I like how they spell boogie. B-U-G-I-E, yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> Perhaps that must, they're referring to something else that maybe no, hangs. <laughs> that's because it's su- southern rock. Oh, boogie. Well, one sad thing about this is that Steve had had tried to revive the band back in uh, 91, and actually this is when Peter Frampton was sort of on his down. So they actually got together, wrote a few songs, and started putting it out. Um, they, Steve had taken an air flight back to home, was sort of an all-nighter, and he had fallen asleep with a cigarette in his hand. Mm. And back in those days, they didn't automatically go out and actually caught his bed on fire and he ended up dying of smoke inhalation. So, um, they found Valium, alcohol, and cocaine in the system. So it Imagine was sort that. of, sort of still <laughs> death by rock and roll. But <laughs> it was, it was not, it was self-inflicted. So, but you know that's kind of how it happens. And heck, my dad used to smoke all the time and he'd fall asleep with a cigarette in his hands. I swear our little recliner had cigarette burns all over the place. When, when did you say that was, Wayne? N- 91. 91? Yeah. Okay, so it was it was fairly late in the Yeah, it was about 20 years later, you know, okay. after after Frampton left. Frampton left and actually did a, a few songs on his own albums that were, like Shine On was one of his songs that he did with uh, Humble Pie, and then he, you know, put it on his own album off the, uh, on the live album. This does have very much, very, a lot of similarities to Southern Rock, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. That piano work. So they are saying Natural Born Woman. Yeah. They just titled it The Boogie, and I guess they changed the name. You know, stepping out our limousine well, looking like the cover of a $20 magazine. <laughs> A $20 magazine. She's got now, it where you... 1969, that was some money right yeah. there. She's got it where you find it, if you know what I mean. <laughs> little blue suede shoes. Back to Carl Perkins. Mm-hmm. So, so these were kids. I mean, they were 17 and 18 when this came out. Yeah, well, I mean, Steve was the oldest one at 21. I mean, and this is their second and band. And the veteran at that, yeah, right? Yeah, and the second band. That's that's the one that kind of you, you blows your mind. Right. And, I mean, the, no wonder why they, you know, you go through the 70s and what happened with Peter, the sudden, you know, rise on his great album of, of Frampton Comes Alive. And... You know, there he goes again. I mean, but he does say this is this is the best band he's ever been in. He wished, you know, it, it's wow. one of those things. You know, you kind of he, I think personally, he had to do his own thing because uh, when they broke up, 
um, they basically said, hey, Steve said, go play your kind of mellow rock music and everything. But I do want to say final with this is um, the first time a group was called heavy metal, believe it or not, was pointing towards Humble Pie. Of course, it wasn't in a, in a good review. It's, it's just basically um, the guy was just uh, from Rolling Stone said, you know, here's Humble Pie. We're a noisy, unmelodic, heavy metal metal laden shit rock band <laughs> with loud noisy parts beyond doubt but just before that uh obviously uh steppenwolf had born to be wild and had the heavy metal thunder so that's probably where he pulled that from great well that's a good album thanks for bringing us humble pie appreciate it wayne you're listening to what the riff from august of 1969 if you're enjoying this tell your friends follow us on facebook and give us a review at whattheriff.com now back to continue this episode with our entertainment track. If you've been watching TV, the Manson family is being fingered for being killing the Tate and LeBoncus. That was in August of 69. That's correct. And this song was top for the movie Easy Rider. Ah. I remember that I remember that movie. I don't know that I've seen the whole thing. Well you guys know what the difference between a this is called the pusher by the way by Steppenwolf. And so we're we're pointing out different groups and, and T V and movies of that time. Uh, what's the difference between the, a pusher and a drug dealer? Uh, one makes money and the other one doesn't? I don't know. Well, one, the drug dealer typically was um, marijuana and just pills or something like that, you know, uppers or downers or whatever else. Uh, a pusher was someone who basically pushed heroin. Oh. Yeah, and basically, they, basically he was a monster. Like you said, they don't care if you live or if you die. I'm, I'm kind of guessing that this song did not did not get a huge amount of airplay. No, it did not. But being this was the first song on Easy Rider, and Easy Rider, independent film, is written by Peter Fonda. Um, I heard a podcast on him talking about it. it says he had to give uh, Dennis Hopper some credit. Dennis Hopper, that's yeah, right. I was yeah. trying to remember who was in it. Jack Nicholson was in this also. Yeah. Jack Nicholson um, played a um, an ACLU guy, lawyer. Um, basically, it's based guys on choppers going from um, New Mexico to actually Mardi Gras in New Orleans, and they're basically getting wasted on the way on on the way on the trip. Um, so, was this song written for the movie? Uh, no, actually, this song was written by Hoyt Axton. He's an American folk music singer-songwriter. Yeah. And he had friends. I mean, when you're in that, even the folk scene, the heroin was this new drug, and suddenly people were dying off. I mean, one after another. Oh, as yeah. we saw later on, um, obviously would lose some, lose some to that, you know. And it just, they didn't care. You know, they... they you know, they were just getting that next trip. And unfortunately, now we have this. It's an opioid. And we have yes. that crisis now in a pill form. Right. Doctors are prescribing it. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, they're probably the pusher. So, I mean, there's a lot of people who are bouncing back. I remember my daughter had an operation uh, last year or a year and a half ago. 
And she basically says, is this opioid? She did not want it because she didn't want even want a chance being on it. Even though she's 18 years old and an adult, she knew that this could be really, you know. I've always been amazed at, at people like trying heroin. <laughs> it's right. like, at what point did they think it was okay? Do you just wake up one day and say, you know, I think I'm going to try heroin? Well, I think a lot of that, though, is they started with say a smaller or less impactful drug like a marijuana yeah they moved up if you will to cocaine and then they just wanted that next step i mean their body was craving something and then it gets to that point where you're into the you heroin just don't care the, well yeah. you're looking for that high yeah I that think, your body craves i think some people now um especially with it like if you get addicted to painkillers or something like that you know yeah. I think that it may be in some ways easier to access and some type of illegal drug like heroin right. than it is to, to, to get the, the, the pills, the prescription pills. Well, I think we talked about it before, maybe not on a podcast, but the two most addictive drugs that the body craves the most mm-hmm. are heroin and meth. Hmm. And when you get to that level and your body says, give me more, give me more, if you're an addict, you're going to do anything to fulfill your body's re- you know urge or right. it, it's yeah. it's need and it's I've, I've talked to some addicts former addicts well i guess once an addict always unfortunately and they said it's just it, it has a grip on you you just it's hard to explain yeah well also in film of august 1969 take the money and run if you remember this mockumentary comedy film by woody allen it's okay. one of his earlier ones alice's restaurant it was a comedy film adaptation yep. from whose song? Arlo Guthrie. That's right. <laughs> a little folk song by Arlo Guthrie. You can get anything you want at Alice's Restaurant. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we'll have to do that sometime. Well, maybe they'll build to that as a, a rabbit hole. And yeah. a movie I never saw, but I, 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 since Brian was a big Saints fan, I go, it was number one. It's a film starring Charles Charlton Heston as an aging quarterback from the American f- professional football team, the New Orleans Saints. Oh, wow. <laughs> in 1969, they were awful. So, Well, unfortunately, in the in Easy Rider, all three of the riders ended up dying. So, mm. um, You just destroyed the whole movie for me. Now, I, yeah, now there's no reason to watch it. Oh, well. <laughs> Everybody dies. I was going to watch it for the heroin, but if everybody's going <laughs> to die. <laughs> oh, I tell you, it there's was, some sex scenes in it. There's a, there's a lot. Of, it was rated R for a reason. It was a weird time, though. I mean, you know, yeah. you started off. We started off talking about the Manson murders, but mm-hmm. it was a really strange time in history. Let's pick up something a little bit more positive, gentlemen. What Staff you got, picks. Brian? What you got, Brian? Oh, it's a, from a band called. Maybe you've heard of them before. Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Sounds a little more positive here. <laughs> yeah. This is their, uh, their, off their first album, a self-titled album, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. And this is called the Marrakesh Express. Oh, now, wait a second. What is in Marrakesh? Well, Marrakesh is an actual train ride that uh, Graham Nash took uh, during his vacation to Morocco in 1966. Ah. And the train went from Casablanca yes. to Marrakesh. Is that one of those ones that have, you know, 800 people hanging on the outside of it? <laughs> well, it's, it's funny on you top, ask. outside. It's funny you ask because when he, the inspiration for this song is when he rode on this train, he actually started in first class. <laughs> and he looked around and he saw, he said, when well, he described a bunch of blue hairs. So he didn't fit in. So huh? he said, this is not me. This is way outside of my comfort zone. 
So he decided to leave and get out of the first class car, and then he just went down to the different areas of, of the uh, train, and uh, he actually came across basically the, the lower classes, if you will, and he also came across some animals. You can hear in the song, he talks about, he sees uh, ducks and pigs and chickens, so you can hear it. This I never song, noticed that. <laughs> yeah. So basically, he's telling us about his trip mm-hmm. on the Marrakesh Express. Now, it doesn't specify if it was an actual express train where you only have to stop between Casablanca to Marrakesh. Mm-hmm. But uh, this song is truly about his experience. But it, Marrakesh Express sounds better than the slow train to Marrakesh with several stops <laughs> along the way. That is true. That is true. I thought maybe it had something to do with, you know, hash pipes and that's stuff like that. <laughs> that's kind of where I was going after all that discussion. We're riding on the Marrakesh Express. Yeah. Maybe it was his last train to Clarksville. Yeah. <laughs> but no, this song was uh, very popular. It reached number 28 on the Billboard charts. Uh, but it did launch the career. Graham Nash before this, uh, with four Crosby stills in Nash. I got was, it. I know. I know. Who, Buffalo Springfield. Uh, no, he was with the Hollies. Hollies. Oh, ah. who was with Buffalo Springfield? Was it Crosby? Crosby. Was Crosby. Yeah. That's right. But with, Graham with Nash. Was, yeah. Graham Nash was with uh, the group called the Hollies, and he was with the band from '62 to '68, and he actually wrote this song in '66 and had it released later. So. Cool. That's, that's a good. That's a good staff pick. That, that is back, doesn't it? A lot. Uh, that's a lot nicer and happy, happier <laughs> after. Right. Uh, yeah, we gotta get out of the. We gotta get out of the drug doldrums, don't we? Yeah. Listen to this one here for a second. One is the loneliest number that you So you probably recognize this. Absolutely. This is Three Dog Night. You hear that beat of the. Yep. Apparently, the guy that wrote it wrote it after calling someone and getting a busy signal, and he said the beat, beat, beat mm-hmm. of the busy signals what inspired him. Oh, interesting. And he was by himself. Uh huh. So that became the opening for the song. Well, the song's not really uplifting either. So, I mean. but but be honest, how many of you see a donkey singing this? <laughs> That's a good point. And Eddie Murphy. That's right. And the Eddie Murphy voice was Shrek. <laughs> that would yeah. be Shrek. <laughs> Donkey. This was uh, Three Dog Night's first gold record. Oh. And they made it to number five. Was it really? Yep. Oh, I thought they were around longer than that. But uh, but, but this, is, this is the early on. Yeah. The group had three number one songs in the U.S. They had uh, Joy to the World, mm-hmm. Black and White. Yeah. And, okay. And then Mama Told Me Not to Come. Oh, yeah. that's my yep, favorite. Yep. Oh, Three Dog Night, excellent, excellent group. They're still touring. I, I saw somewhere where they're, they're they really? coming around. Yeah, so that would definitely be, uh, I think, a, a, a road now. Trip. I don't know. This may be one of those bands that don't have all the members. Uh, I would well, no, I was many about of to them say do. there's. You, if you want to see them, see them soon. It's interesting. They had three vocalists when they started: Danny Hutton, Corey Wells, and Chuck Negron, and then they added keyboard uh, player, bass player, guitar player, drums, and they had a number of. Uh, songwriters and singers join them, so it's not necessarily session people either. But they just kind of went through the band, kinda rotated through. Had different singers for all those number one hits, for instance. Hmm. Yeah, I think "Joy to the World" was written. I forget who it was written by, but yeah, it wasn't written by them. Right. Unfortunately, I don't have that in my notes, but look it up. Here's, <laughs> here's an interesting thing. So the name Three Dog Night." Danny Hutton, one of the founding members. Actress June Fairchild was his girlfriend. Okay. She was in Cheech and Chong's movie Up in Smoke. Oh. The Ajax lady. <laughs> so she uh, had read an article in a magazine about uh, Australians, and uh, she said she 
found that uh, in the article on cold nights, it was believed that they would sleep in a hole with a dingo, a wild dog. <laughs> okay. If it got colder, they would sleep with two dogs. <laughs> If the night dropped into the freezing temperatures, uh-huh. it was known as a three-dog a night. Three-dog wow. night. Oh, wow. A triple dingo hole. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the indig- indigenous tribes in Australia would hole up with the dingoes, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Awesome. Good, good info there. So we're going on to our next staff pick, which is, which is an interesting one as well, the name anyway. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys. Here's a little swamp rock for you. Mm. This is Tony Joe White. I'm liking this. And he was born. Brian, you should That's you should be familiar with this. He was born in Oak Grove, Louisiana. You understand what I'm talking about? That's <laughs> see, I never really heard Tony White, Tony Joe White's version. Mm-hmm. The most uh, times I heard this song was from Mr. Presley. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Elvis Presley picked up that song, and it was a regular on his tour oh, yeah. uh, during the night. Got those horns. This is the way he talks, too. If, if you check him out on YouTube, this is the way he talks. Tony Joe White. So he recorded this in May 1968, and uh, Monument Records had actually written it off before it peaked at number eight on wow. the Billboard Hot 100. Wow! So it, it, they they it was uh, it was coming up the track right now. See, I can I, I can close my eyes right now. I can see Elvis sauntering across the stage. Oh, sure, sure. Actually, it was the month before that Elvis started his. Uh, Tours back, his comeback yeah, tour. Yeah, exactly. Well, he played Vegas for a while too, right? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, this is when he donned in his black and mm-hmm. gotten up there, and you know, that was a summer, a Christmas of '68, wasn't it? Yeah. And he started the tours back mm-hmm. in '69. That's when right. he started going back out to the United States. It's, it's funny if I didn't know this from pulling the album, I would have thought he was a black guy. His voice very soulful, very yeah. you know, it's that Southern Louisiana. It's very great, much that way. Great voice. And what he's referring to, he was inspired to write this after hearing Ode to Billy Joe, uh, Ode to Billy Joe on the radio, and he decided, all right, I need to write some stuff that I know about. And, and this is one of the things that he knew about. Um, so Pope is, uh, when they say poke salad, it actually should be poke salad, S-A-L-L-E-T. Uh, that's an old English word that means cooked greens. And uh, poke salad is uh, made from from weeds that grow up around here. So aren't they those purple weeds with kind of a celery-like stalk? That's it. That's it. And then they got the big leaves coming off of them, or yeah. serrated edges. And I've always heard that you don't eat the don't eat the the berries there. That those are poisonous. Uh oh. I don't know if that's true or not, but I'd always heard that. But yeah, I mean, basically, if you were poor in the south. You know, poke salad might be a part of your your dish because you just go out there and you know pick these weeds and they're edible. Certainly lived off the land. And yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Or out of the swamp, whatever whatever the case may be. Yeah. <laughs> Down there, it's a lot of swamp. Mm-hmm. It's actually spelled polk, P-O-L-K. I thought it was P-O-K-E. I always thought it was right. a poke plant. It it and it, it should be it should be poke salad. Okay. But the re- the record company. Recorded it as Polk Salad Annie. 
They probably uh, couldn't understand our southern dialect might anyway. Not, they had a problem. Maybe Tony Joe White submitted that as a spelling. Uh, who knows? Who knows? Who we knows? talked about you know Earth, Wind, and Fire starting to have the the horns and everything else. This one having horns, harmonica, yeah. and then the wah wah there. Nice pick, Bruce. It's good sound. Now I have to go home and watch it with Elvis. I'm sorry. Well, I like listening to it when it's not the well-known one. Too. Mm-hmm. That's kind of cool. Next, we've uh, got a staff pick. Uh, bring them to a close with Wayne. What you got, Wayne? Well, we're more oh, horns. Oh, that's familiar. More horns. You may know them as Chicago, but this album is their first album. Do you remember what they were called? I'm going to take a gander on that and say that's the Chicago Transit Authority, weren't they? That's CTA. correct. Yeah. CTA. Yeah. And they were sued by the CTA saying, <laughs> we don't want you to represent us as a as a rock musician. And really, this is they were more popish. Uh, they this, very musical, mm-hmm. as you can hear oh, those sure. build. It just it this builds. This song is called Questions 67 and 68. And it was written by one of the members. It wasn't Robert written by Satara? No, it's Robert Lamb. Okay. And uh, this is their first single release. Um, and it does not get a whole lot of airplay at all. It, it's, you know, sort of one since it's on that first album, you know, you, you, you get, you know, 25, 6 to 4, or does anybody know what time it is? Yeah. They like numbers. Yeah, exactly. But this one is on their greatest hits. You'll hear question sixty-seven. Yeah, yeah, exactly. On, on yep, the greatest yeah. hits. Oh, I mean, Callie, how many? I think there. Were, I think I've stopped counting at like twenty-nine on the number of albums they had released because they put yeah. this was considered Chicago one, and then Chicago two. I remember Chicago ten have you know, don't you leave me now. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, they've already had ten albums, and it was you know not even nineteen seventy-seven. I think at the time. Well, Chicago was still big when I was you know right right in there, high school to college. You mm-hmm. had Chicago sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. Those were like some of their bigger hits. Yeah, exactly. MTV they they cruised right into the MTV. Oh, they yeah, did a little sure. bit more popish stuff. Peter Cetera. Uh, was very big in that, and actually, it kind of went to his head, and he decided to leave the group at that time. But I mean, did he leave the group, or did they kick him out? I, I think he just left. Okay. It, it, it's one of those ones. You can't I, kick me out. I quit. <laughs> you can't quit. You're fired. Well, you can't I, fire him. He believe, quit. It or, believe it or not, I'm gonna humble brag. I got to meet the members of Chicago. Oh, cool. uh, when I was in college, I was part of a group uh, called Major Entertainment at Auburn, and we got all the big. You know, acts to come in. So wow. you probably hear me throughout saying, "Hey, I got to see so and so." I got to meet them. One of the things I was backstage doing all the prep, and also got to drive them um, back to the their airplane, which happened to be a DC three, which hmm. I thought was pretty cool. Really? Um, so they were flying around on DC three. Unfortunately, we had to drive them about twenty miles away to a bigger airport than the one that was at Auburn at the time, because the DC three, <laughs> believe it or not, couldn't land at Auburn's little small airport. I'm guessing oh, you broke. You, I'm guessing you drove into Montgomery. Yeah, but I got to meet them. I mean, really great guys. I I, I got to say, uh, one thing that surprised me. I wanted to kind of brag on the radio station I was I was DJ at, and I go, hey man, you guys want to listen to some music after you know? And it's after the concert. And he goes, no, we don't even want to listen to you know, the alternative stuff. So. Uh, the only thing I remember is that the uh, manager was a real, real. This is a family pain show. In, pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> that guy, I, I, you know, they they actually apologized to me. Uh, the trumpet player. He, he, well, isn't he that a, a, isn't that though, kind of a general 
acceptance that managers of bands are going to be they're paid to do that jerks. Yeah. that's that's what yeah. their job is to you know yeah. keep the band moving from place to place right. and you know things like that they're not supposed to necessarily be nice guys no what's cool about them is uh, you know obviously they got the drums the bass and lead guitar but they also had trumpets a flugelhorn trombone saxophone flute you know they had that wind section well, that's, that's what attracted me to Chicago for all those years. What was their wind instruments? Sure. I mean, incredible musicians. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, to me, one of the greatest songs is Saturday in the Park. Yeah. I mean, they have that, so many great that, songs. Yeah, that just that exemplifies that, that moment being a sunny day, early spring, and you're sitting there just, you know, putting that song on. Mm-hmm. They've got a, uh, a good documentary uh, that I saw on Netflix a few months ago. Um, it's called Now More Than Ever, The History of Chicago. It was on Netflix, and it was really interesting. Hmm. You know, they had so many different members. They went through, you know, they start off with the horns. They ended up cutting back on the horns. They ended up coming back with them. So, good pick. Long lead out out in this one. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to that piano reverberating. Very That's good. good. That was a good pick. Mm-hmm. So now we're moving on into our laugh track or our instrumental. It's live. Well, my daddy left home when I was three, and he didn't leave much. Yep. Mr. Ma and me, just this old guitar and an empty it. bottle of booze. <laughs> An empty bottle. Because he run and hid, but the meanest thing that he ever did was before he left, he went and named me Sue. There we go. <laughs> so I believe I picked out this laugh track. Yeah. Uh, we had done one earlier on that was uh, a uh, a boy named Johnny Cash, and this is the song that it was based off of, right? Which is a boy named Sue. So funny with him and his low voice and oh, all yeah. black and singing about this. I wish I would have saw him when he was around. That's one of those regrets. You just going, man, he had all those songs recorded with other artists. And he just went, you know, the Man in Black tour was coming out and then unfortunately dying. Well, and the thing is, Johnny Cash, there's a certain, there's something about him. And he was at his heyday right here in 1969. So I can't remember exactly when his, his, uh, television show started but it was right in there in the early oh, 70s yeah. late 60s yeah, about that. oh yeah i remember he would he'd be up on stage and he'd have his back to the audience turn around and say hi well, i'm johnny cash if you ever get to memphis tennessee to visit or if you want to go down and see grace lander one of the things i'd highly recommend that you go to is sun studios they have a wonderful tour yeah and one of the my favorite pictures in there is a picture of jerry lee lewis at the piano mm-hmm. elvis presley Johnny Cash and Carl Perkins standing oh, around the piano. Fantastic. Yeah, I remember that. All yeah. in Sun Studios. It's from the 50s, but just to yeah. see them all and just to see what their careers turned out is just amazing. That's fantastic. Well, in August 1969, the top hits in the year 2525. That was uh, If We're Still Alive, <laughs> Zager and Evans. Wow. Crystal Blues Persuasion with Tommy James and the Shondells. Honky Tonk Woman, talking about another song that could be a Southern rock song, The Rolling Stones. 
What does it take? Junior Walker and the All-Stars. Sweet Caroline. Oh. Neil Diamond. Almost picked that as my staff pick. <laughs> Almost did it. I Nobody can ever- sing it, though, like the Germans can during Oktoberfest. I'm going to tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> then it was Ruby, Don't Take Your Love to Town with Kenny, Kenny Rogers. Kenny yeah. the first edition. That was that far back. Yeah, that oh, yeah. was 69. That was basically he came back as a wounded veteran that couldn't uh, yeah. perform, and his wife would up and leave him. <laughs> I didn't know this song was that old. Hmm. Happening in music of 1960, August 69, Bob Dylan makes a surprise appearance at his high school reunion. Uh, Mick Jagger is accidentally shot when filming a movie called Ned Kelly. And then he was replaced by a, uh, by a, 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 a robot. <laughs> Very few people know that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's not the real Mick Jagger? It's really not. The Beatles have that photo of them crossing Abbey Road. That was in this year? Yeah, that was that was in August 69. Some of the albums, uh, Jethro Tull, we talked about him, put an album. The Stooges, Stevie Wonder. That ends August 1969. Hope you enjoyed. We're What the Riff. I'm Wayne. I'm Rob. I'm Brian. And I'm Bruce. You've been listening to What the Riff? We hope you enjoyed riffing with us, and we invite you to visit whattheriff.com to find and download the music we had on tap today. You can also contact us and request an album that you'd like us to riff about at whattheriff.com. And if you get a minute, like us on Facebook and share us with your friends. Links are available on our website. Thanks for listening to What the Riff? Brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. Also, Marbury Creative Group. Tell it better. If necessary, use words.